When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Hauser, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. A few weeks ago, I went to Edinburgh with a friend. She is Swiss like myself, but knows the Scottish capital as if it were her own home. As we wandered through the streets, she knew a story to tell at every corner. So I learned that the castle of Edinburgh sits atop a dormant volcano, and that the Royal Mile, stretching all the way from up there down to the city, was built on solidified lava. This is not the only reason, though, that Edinburgh is a magical city. My friend told me stories about the mysterious vaults underneath the busy streets, stories of wicked scoundrels and faithful souls, which may or may not still linger in these city walls. We were wandering through the streets for hours on end, passing those old houses, venerable like grey eminences. We wove our way through the relentless stream of folks, past shops, pubs and restaurants. On our way to a fancy afternoon tea, we had to cross a street. The light just turned green and we strode on, when suddenly I froze in the middle of the street. There was a unicorn, dark, with a mane like spun gold and a glowing horn. It had nothing in common with those sugar-coated objects that lurch on every shelf at every corner. Unfortunately, the unicorn wasn't real, but painted on a barrier surrounding a construction site. A crowd of people was painted around the unicorn, people as diverse as the ones surrounding me. It seemed as if the unicorn was protecting them. I was enchanted by the way this painting turned something as inconvenient as a construction site into something that added a dash of magic to the world. And I wondered what the unicorn might see, standing in the middle of a street in the city center all day and all night. However, there wasn't much time to ponder as the light sprung to dark orange, so I quickly snapped a picture and then hurried on. In this episode, we have prepared a whole bouquet of stories for you. Stories as lovely as the flowers that spring up on every meadow outside. The first teller for this episode is Ed Stivender. Miami Herald called him the Robin Williams of storytelling. 
Ed has been telling stories for over 40 years, both in the US and internationally. And I'm delighted that now you'll get to hear his version of The Marvelous Cat. The teller you'll hear after Ed is Franz Stallings, an American storyteller for people of all ages. Focusing on folktales from around the world, you can hear Fran and her work at festivals, on the radio, and on the four CDs that she has produced. And today, she shares the story of Turkey Vulture. Once there was a king who was given a present of a magnificent cat. The cat was not only beautiful, it was gigantic. It was the largest animal that anyone in the kingdom had ever seen. Hmm, said the king, I wonder what I should name you. I wish to name you after the greatest thing there is, since you are the greatest animal there is. I know. I shall name you Sky. Here, Sky. Nice Sky. Meow. Brrr. The next day, the queen came into the throne room and said, Husband, do you know there is a gigantic cat standing right behind you? Yes, said the king. That is my cat, Sky. Husband, why do you call your cat Sky? I call my cat Sky because the sky is the greatest thing there is. But husband, do you not know that a cloud can cover the sky? Therefore, a cloud is greater than a sky. You should call your cat Cloud. Oh, yes, I will. Here, Cloud. Nice Cloud. Let me pet you. Meow. The next day, the general came into the throne room. Your Majesty, do you know there is a gigantic cat standing right behind you? Yes, that is my cat, Cloud. Why do you call your cat Cloud, Your Majesty? I call my cat Cloud because the cloud can cover the sky, and the sky is the greatest thing there is. But, Your Majesty, do you not know that a wind can move the cloud? Therefore, the wind is greater than the cloud. You should call your cat Wind. Oh, yes. You're right. I shall. Here, wind. Nice wind. Let me pet you. Meow. The next day, the physician came into the throne room and said, Your Majesty, there seems to be a gigantic cat standing right behind you. Yes, that is my cat, Wind. Why do you call your cat Wind, Your Majesty? I call my cat Wind because... The wind can move the cloud, cloud can cover the sky, and the sky is the greatest thing there is. Um, but, Your Majesty, do you not know that a wall can stop the wind? Therefore, a wall is greater than the wind. You should call your cat Wall. Oh, yes, I shall. Here, Wall, nice Wall, let me pet you. Meow. Brrp. The next day, the court jester came into the throne room and said, Oh, Your Majesty, there seems to be a gigantic cat standing right behind you. Yes, that is my cat, Wall. Why do you call your cat Wall, Your Majesty? I call my cat Wall because the wall can stop the wind. The wind can move the cloud. The cloud can cover the sky, and the sky is the greatest thing there is. Oh, but, Your Majesty, do you not know that a mouse can nibble through a wall? Therefore, a mouse is greater than a wall. You should call your cat Mouse. Oh, yes, I shall. Here, Mouse. Nice Mouse. Let me pet you. Meow. Brrr. The next day, the daughter of the king came into the throne room and said, Father, do you not know that there is a gigantic cat standing right behind you? 
Oh, yes, that is my cat, Mouse. Why do you call your cat Mouse, Father? I call my cat Mouse because the mouse can nibble through the wall, the wall can stop the wind, the wind can move the cloud, cloud can cover the sky, and the sky is the greatest thing there is. But, Father, do you not know that a cat can catch a mouse? Therefore, a cat is more powerful than a mouse. You should call your cat Cat. Oh, yes, I shall. Here, cat. Nice cat. Let me pet you. Meow. Turkey Vulture was looking bad. Chicken Hawk flew down and landed next to him on the fence rail. What's the matter with you, cousin? You look terrible. Oh, said Turkey Vulture, I'm about to starve. I haven't had a thing to eat in days. Why not? asked Chicken Hawk. Look at all the tasty game around here. Birds, mice, rabbits. Yes, but they're alive. You know I only eat dead stuff. That's my job. I'm supposed to wait for things to die, then clean them up. Chicken Hawk shook his head in disgust. It's not your job to starve. Why wait when hunting live game is easy? But cleaning up dead stuff is my job, protested Turkey Vulture. Chicken Hawk just shook his head. See that rabbit in the meadow? Watch me! And he launched himself into the air. He flew high overhead and then dived for that rabbit showing off. The rabbit saw her enemy approaching and ran for cover in the tall grass by the fence post. Turkey Vulture watched as Chicken Hawk hurtled down out of the sky and flew splat into the fence post. Turkey Vulture nodded. Thanks. I knew if I waited long enough, something would die. The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is the Fantastic League of Magical Guardians. Does your city, village, stronghold, or town feel safe enough, but not magically safe? Let us put a special spell of protection on you. Each member of our League of Magical Guardians will not only help you keep your home safe, but also add an enchanting air of otherworldliness in the very best of ways. Pick and choose between gentle giants, gaggles of gnomes, fierce fairies, wondrous water-dwelling creatures, fabled beasts, whatever suits your vibe and history. All members of our league come in the form of graffiti, gargoyles, statues or ordinary looking billboards, so you can pick and choose the fashion they can best add their enchantment to your realm. No matter which form you go for, they will patrol your city in the wee hours to go after scoundrels and protect the serene. Fantastic League of Magical Guardians, we put the very best of spells on you. This episode is also brought to you by Bernadette and her daughters Athena, Phoebe and Penelope. Like all patrons of the arts and supporters of storytelling, they have a magical gift, which is brought to you live from outside the venue of tonight's storytelling gig. You see, I have been trying to find their gifts everywhere. I listened for it on the wind. I looked underneath all the bushes I passed, but in vain. Their magical gifts were nowhere to be found. Now, 
A few moments ago, I was just sitting in the sun, relaxing a bit before my show, when something tapped on my knee. Or rather, someone. There was a gnome, clad in red garments and a long white beard, and he told me that Bernadette and her daughters each have a unique friend from the other world, and he's friends with them too. He told me that Bernadette was given a tiny dragon. He's the size of a baseball and the best at keeping treasures, so he always knows where the keys, the phone, the glasses, or the remote control are. Athena's magical friend is, you guessed it, a silvery owl. Every night, the owl soars into the starry sky and brings back songs and tales that the night whisper to her. Phoebe, on the other hand, has a fairy friend who always leaves her special presents on the windowsill. One morning, for example, Phoebe was woken by a snail dancing wildly on her windowsill. Another time, a bouquet of four-leaf clover sang her to sleep. And Penelope's magical friend is a tiny unicorn. It lives in half an eggshell, and I have it on good authority that this tiny unicorn inspires the biggest of dreams and the faith that they can come true too. Thank you so much for being patrons and supporting us in sharing the magic of storytelling with the world. The afternoon tea was a delight of unparalleled proportions. It was served in an old library with arched ceilings and little nooks. We sat in one of them, surrounded by books from a time where the royal family was chauffeured through the city streets in horse-drawn carriages. After enjoying scrumptious sandwiches and scones, mousse au chocolat and other pastries, all the while sipping on exquisite blends of tea, we made our way to a pub. The evening was filled with fantastic live music and a cheerful crowd, pints of cider and singing until our throats were sore. It was already close to midnight when we stepped into the cold night air. The crisp freshness was a welcome change after the pub. However, because it was raining, we walked on briskly in the direction of our hotel. Knowing the alleys like the back of our hands, my friend led me through the labyrinth of alleys. Had they not been illuminated by forgotten strings of fairy lights and street lamps, I would have thought that we were walking through centuries past. It was as if the walls themselves were whispering stories to us. And all of a sudden, we heard something. The clip-clop of hoofs. A soft neighing. We stopped in our tracks, then carefully trod on, peered around the corner and... There it was, in all its glory, the unicorn. It gleamed like the pavement in the rain, mane and tail like spun gold. The horn on its forehead shone like from within. The unicorn seemed so proud, so untamable, and yet so pure. We didn't dare to go closer. The creature looked straight at us. In its eyes, 
We saw the passing of time, all the stories of the city walls and streets. Indeed, it seemed as if we had fallen out of time. Perhaps we stood there just a minute, or maybe it was three hours. Suddenly, the unicorn turned away, head held high, and with the last swish of its tail it disappeared. It disappeared, as if it had never been there. All I have now is the memory of this magical encounter, and the photograph of its painting. And who knows, if ever you go up north to Edinburgh, maybe you will cross its path as well. The third teller for this episode is Eliza Permain, a professional storyteller with over 30 years of experience under her belt. She's also a licensed therapist, helping adults to hear their own stories in new ways for personal growth and healing. In this episode, she shares the story of learning to hiss. And last but not least, we have Graham Bear the Storyteller. Known under this artistic name, Lev Robes has made a name for himself in Colorado as a children's storyteller. His original tales mix a bit of fantasy and some Native American traditions with moral messages to create a unique experience for children of all ages. Today, he shares the story of Martha and the Meadowlark. Here is a story from India about the challenge of finding the balance between forgiveness and safety. Once... A poisonous cobra snake lived in a meadow near a village. This snake lived mainly on mice and frogs, as snakes do, but she was very protective of her territory. She was known to chase and bite the villagers if they wandered too close, and a few had died from her poison. One day, a holy man came by the village and began to wander in the direction of the cobra's lair. The people warned him of the terrible snake but he reassured them that he knew of a mantra that would protect him, and he walked straight up to the cobra, who was sunning herself next to her hole. The cobra ready to strike, but the holy man recited the mantra, and the snake fell at his feet. The holy man asked her, Why are you harming the villagers? I am simply defending my territory, as my ancestors have always done. There is a better way, said the holy man. I will teach you to love God so that you can rid yourself of your violent nature. And he taught the snake a mantra to practice every time she felt like harming someone. He touched her hooded head and she felt a great impulse of love go through her. After the holy man left, she sat and repeated the mantra until she was filled with compassion. Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. After a while, the villagers noticed that the cobra no longer threatened them. They began to go freely to and from the meadow, and a group of boys even began to taunt the snake. They threw stones at her, and one boy even picked her up and whirled her around and dashed her against the ground, leaving her nearly lifeless. 
from then on, the cobra rarely left its lair and only hunted at night when the villagers slept. She grew thin and weak. One day, the holy man returned to the village and went to visit the snake to see how she was getting along. But when he saw her so thin and bruised, he was dismayed. My friend, what has happened to you? he asked. Oh, it is thanks to you that I have practiced the mantra and given up all violent action. But why are you so thin and bruised? Oh, the village boys, they, they do not know better. They torment me in, in many ways. They do not know that I have found God. Oh, dear, said the holy man. I can see that I did not instruct you well. I told you not to harm anyone, but you must never be afraid to hiss. You have every right to protect yourself. From then on, the cobra continued to practice her mantra of love, but she wasn't afraid to hiss if anyone threatened to do her harm. Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. and the meadowlark. You remember the ant, Martha, who had prepared for winter and was snuggled in all safe and sound when the cold winds hit. La, 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 la. Well, I went back to the ranch in the early spring and out into the field to the anthill to see if I could find her. I softly called out, Martha, Martha, Martha. And she came over and crawled onto my hand, and I lifted her up. She had been working hard doing her spring cleaning, but she took a break to tell me a couple of wild things that had happened to her just a few weeks before. She said that it had been a beautiful spring day, and the sun was out, the snow was gone, and she just needed to get out into that wonderful day before she started her spring cleaning. It was also nice to have some private time because a lot of friends and relatives lived with her in the anthill. You know, sisters, cousins, uncles, and of course, aunts. She strolled over to a tiny creek that only runs in the springtime to see its beauty and listen to the voice of the water. She was standing on a high bank when all of a sudden the swift water undercut the bank where she was standing and it fell into the water with Martha on it. Sploosh! Ants are not good swimmers and so she was so very frightened. She hung on to the piece of dirt that fell with her, but it soon turned to mud and then just muddy water. Meadowlark had seen this happen and quickly flew to the ground, picked up a piece of straw, flew over the creek, and dropped it into the water right next to Martha. Martha was able to climb on, just like we would climb onto a log, and hang on and float along. You know how in streams, when they make a turn, things floating have a tendency to drift to the outside? Well, Martha and the straw did on the next turn and bumped into the bank, boom, and she was able to climb off and climb up into the grass to safety. And Meadowlark had followed, and they talked while Martha dried off and rested. Martha was so very grateful and wished that she could do something fine in return. 
But Meadowlark assured her that nothing need be done in exchange. She did it to save her friend. That's all. Some days later, Martha was taking another morning stroll near the stream, but not too near. Suddenly, she noticed that Meadowlark was on the ground getting some grain and didn't notice a cat who was slowly creeping up on her. Martha knew that if she yelled out in her tiny voice, Meadowlark, Meadowlark, watch out! Meadowlark wouldn't hear her above the voice of the water and the voice of the wind. So she scurried over to the cat's tail, and even though it was twitching, she managed to grab on. Then she scrambled down into the fur all the way to the real tail and took the biggest, strongest chomp that she had ever managed in her entire life. The cat lapped up with a terrible meow, meow, and Meadowlark quickly, safely took wing. Ants are very tough, and so Martha managed to tumble out of the cat's tail unhurt. That afternoon, Meadowlark and Martha were having a conversation, and Meadowlark told her what had happened that afternoon. She couldn't imagine what made that cat scream, leap up and run home like that, but she was very grateful that it did. Martha just ducked her head a little and smiled and said, Well, she was bitten on the tail. Meadowlark was so grateful, she burst into her beautiful song. So sometime, when you are walking by an open field and hear a meadowlark sing, you know, she might just be singing to an ant. Do you suppose? Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Ed Stivender at edstivender.com, Fran Stallings at franstallings.com, Eliza Permain at wisdomtales.com, and Graham Baird, the storyteller on the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. If you have questions or comments for the podcast, you can send them to us at storystorypodcast at gmail.com. You can also connect with me directly at isabelhauser.com. If you get in touch, let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you will hear them here soon. The inspiration for the true fairy tale truly came from the painting of a unicorn I saw in Edinburgh painted on the barrier around a construction site. And that was also the inspiration for the true fairy tale. The music, as always, is by Poddington Bear. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You will hear more stories in two weeks. But until then, live happily ever after. Mary-Kate opened up the door, and there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, 
You can even hear the festive music from the royal court.